Since the dawn of civilization, humans have endeavored to become stronger and faster. From the invention of the wheel to today, history is replete with men and women who have applied innovation to fitness. But in the past 50 years, while millions have made livings in this industry, a select few have taken that passion to the highest level, creating brands and products known across the globe. Today we celebrate these pioneers, for they are the Gym Class Heroes. All right, welcome to Gym Class Heroes of Fitness, sponsored by Athletic Business and the iClubs Conference. Coming to you November 20th through 22nd uh, in San Diego, California. For independent club operators, ideas for innovation, you will not want to miss it. One of the coolest things that you will see at the iClubs Conference is a special presentation by the great Irvin Magic Johnson. So if you are a basketball fan, an NBA fan, or anybody uh, who cares to hear what the greats have to say, then you will not want to miss this conference. And speaking of what the greats have to say, we have uh, very excited about today's uh, today's um, presentation, our, 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 our podcast, because we have one of the greats from the industry, Phil Wendell from the ACAC. Phil, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. And you are coming to us, correct, from Charlottesville, Virginia, am I right? Charlottesville, Charlottesville, Virginia, that's right. Thomas Jefferson country and also home of the University of Virginia. For those yeah, of you of who the, are, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say one of the coolest towns in America. You got that right. We're an hour from Richmond and two hours from Washington, D.C., and on the edge of the Blue Ridge Mountains, if you haven't visited. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, so so just a little, little side story about where you are. Um, Hossein and I, every year, we go to work on a cattle farm right outside of Culpeper. Okay. And. And we were, which is not far from you at all, and we were actually just there this weekend. Um, we were talking about, we were actually talking about uh, uh, Charlottesville and how beautiful it is and, and how people come from all around just to go antiquing in Charlottesville. Oh, that's well put. Well put. And Culpeper, I want to say, is about 35 miles away from where we are. That's right. Yeah. Another and, cool little town. Yeah. And people, like, unfortunately, people associate Charlottesville, and I don't know if they, uh, people who aren't from uh sort of the Virginia, D.C. metro area, they think of Charlottesville as just part of D.C. kind of thing, but it's really some of the most beautiful country in the world. Well put. Thank you. <laughs> so so we want to get to what brought you to Charlottesville, and that actually starts with a very cool story. You're, you're from Chicago originally, correct? That's pretty much right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I was the son of a military guy, so uh, from Chicago principally, I think, is a good way of putting it. Yeah. Gotcha. And uh, so son of a military guy. So did you move around a lot? Not as much as one generally would, but my dad was a Pearl Harbor day after Pearl Harbor joinee. So very patriotic. And uh, right after we were bombed in December of 1941, my dad went in and joined the army the next day. And lo and behold, he stayed with it for uh, the next 30 years. But I, his principal assignment uh, was the Chicago area. And so I did a lot of my uh, my high school and college years were back in Illinois, in one gotcha. of the Chicago did, suburbs. And you went you went into teaching. I did. When I got out of college, I taught for four years and uh, taught and coached. I coached. Uh, this was middle school, seventh and eighth graders, and I coached both baseball and basketball, and 
concurrent with that, um, I started a student travel company called Lakeland Tours, whose purpose was really to do nothing other than bring middle school kids from wherever to Washington, D.C. On the, on, on, on the classic junior high school field trip to our nation's capital. That's exactly right. And uh, initially, the first couple of years, most of the groups went by motor coach. And uh, two or three years into it, we started flying kids out. And uh, probably 85, 90% of the, the trips now, the companies still around, are by air. And California is the largest market. The West Coast, Oregon's big, Washington, Texas, all of the above. The, the irony, obviously, is that uh, more people in Texas have gone to the top of the Washington Monument than people who live in Washington, D.C. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. Right now, if you've been there lately, the Washington Monument's ensconced in scaffolding as they're doing repairs after an earthquake we had here, I guess, a couple of years ago. It, yeah. By the way, I think that, that, that sheathing they have on it, it makes it look beautiful at night. Yeah, so no kidding. Oh, at night. Yeah, it's giving yeah. it a cool, cool light. So what, what, what were you, what, how does it, how does a teacher say, you know what, there's a big, better business here in getting kids to the nation's capital? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, what I, part of, uh, part of my dad's tour of duty was, um, serving in Washington, D.C. And when I was quite young, we lived in the D.C. area. So I had experienced going to all the sites eight or nine times each, uh, because everybody that came to town wanted to see Mount Vernon or the Capitol or the White House. And so as a very young kid, I was able to visit all of those sites. And then when my dad was transferred to Chicago um, and one of the co-teachers, one of the teachers I taught with said, hey, I'm bringing a group of kids to Washington. I need somebody to go along as a chaperone. Would you be willing? I said, absolutely, count me in. I've been there, know my way around, et cetera. And what made you go out on your own? Something was obviously missing on the trip you were in. Well, I was making a teacher's salary, <laughs> had my first daughter, and uh, was cutting lawns in the summer. And as a uh, the opportunity to take a group of kids to Washington, D.C. and earn a little honorarium spurred me on. It helped, uh, it helped provide some income over the summer months. So... It seemed like kind of a win-win if I give up five or six days in spring and, and take some kids to Washington, D.C. and have an honorarium for doing that. Uh, it's a win-win. So when I started the travel company, it was really first and foremost going to the other coaches that I competed against in basketball and baseball in the Chicago suburbs and said, hey, guy, I got a great idea. Or uh, why don't you bring some kids to Washington, D.C. over spring and make a make a few hundred bucks taking a, a tour director fee or an honorarium. So I just thought we could do it or I could do it better because both I had the experience of knowing the city and I also had the experience of being a teacher. I can't imagine anything because I, I know, I mean, the company grew. I, I saw that you had up to 100 employees. You were taking annually. It's taken now like hundreds of thousands, of 100,000 some uh, junior high school students to D.C. I cannot imagine anything tougher than being responsible for 100,000 13-year-olds. 
Well, that's why I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> no, I had a lot of fun doing it. When I sold the company, we were up to 50,000 kids. Right now, I think they're just short of 100,000 a year. But the trips are well supervised. They bring along teacher chaperones, and then we provide night security for the kids. So uh, it's a little easier dealing with that age group, ironically enough, than it would be a 16- or a 17-year-old. Gotcha. Uh, the, Somewhere. The, the, middle, the middle school kids, when they want to be bad, kind of want to tell you so you notice. The high school kids, you miss it completely. They're, right. they're, they're smarter than we are. They con us. That's funny. So you, uh, somewhere in there, you, move, you make the move from Chicago to Charlottesville. Exactly. And that has, it was nothing more dramatic than the winter of 1978 and 1979. One of, one of my employees walked into the office and said, what the hell are we doing in Chicago? We, we do business out of all 50 states. It's 20 degrees below zero. We've just had 80 inches of snow. Had you ever thought of relocating the company? And I kind of had an epiphany there. I said, yeah, I guess we could. So uh, my parents had subsequently retired to Williamsburg, Virginia. And, you know, I talked to them about it. And they said, you'd love Charlottesville. It's two hours from D.C., so you're not in the, uh, the urban sprawl. And you're close enough that you could go up and see your customers pretty easily. And I said, yeah, why not? So I came out in January of 79, visited Charlottesville. Filled up my gas tank, and it was 40 degrees warmer than when I left in Chicago. And I said, yep, we're coming. So bought a house, rented some office space, and the company's been here ever since. Today, they're still based in Charlottesville. They now have a new name. It's called World Strides. They have about 500 employees, including offices in Salt Lake and Orlando and China, of all places. But their headquarters is here in, in uh, Charlottesville. Are you still so involved? I've been here ever since. Pardon me? Are you still, are you still involved? As an investor. I see. But so no, they, I'm not involved in any way, shape, or form in the day-to-day -day operations. I still have a number of friends that still work there, but no, I'm not involved in any way. So, so you sell the – so you, do I have the story right? You sell the company, but you don't move right into the fitness world. That's – well, I started, our first club opened in 1984, and ACAC is an acronym for Atlantic Coast Athletic Club. I'm pretty much a basketball fan, so I thought it was a play on basketball, ACC, Atlantic Coast Conference, and sure. uh, we, op we opened a small facility at a good location, 6,000 square feet, and called ourselves ACAC was really Atlantic Coast Athletic Club. Nobody knows that. We just go by ACAC. And what got that you was in 19 Go ahead. That was in 1984, by the way. Um, what got me interested? Yeah. Ever since uh, maybe the early 1970s, um, I played competitive baseball from probably the age of 14 up to age 28 or 29, including some time in college. And I stayed with it when I got out of school. And um, one of the guys on our teams, when I was probably 28 or 29, started lifting weights. And not only was he our best player, but once he was lifting weights, became an even better player. And I thought, well, there goes that myth. The myth was if you played a ball sport, you didn't want to mess up your coordination by getting too bulky. So 
I started lifting. Uh, that would probably have been 1974, 75, sometime around there. And uh, I said, wow, this kind of really works. And then while I was at a, a health club in Chicago uh, in the mid-70s, I looked at a couple of guys who were in their 60s who looked sort of like baby Arnold Schwarzeneggers and said, man, it, it must be working. These guys can look that good at that age. So I sort of became passionate about weight training. And I partnered up with a strength coach from the University of Virginia at the time. And we opened our first club here in Charlottesville. So it sounds like you lived a, you've lived an entrepreneurial life. Is, is that That's a good uh, way to put it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Is that something you still sort of, uh, you're still, you're always looking for the next great thing in, in fitness too? Well, right now I'm looking for the next great thing in our field. I'm not looking for my fourth career. Uh, teaching you was an entrepreneurship, but the travel company and fitness was. So uh, there's so much going on in our industry, and I'm so excited about the possibilities and the opportunities that there, there's enough to keep you busy right now. So to, to that point, what's, what's the next big thing in fitness? Well, from my perspective, I don't know about the rest of the industry, but from my perspective, it would be the integration of what we do as club owners with the medical community to be some part of the Affordable Care Act, which other a lot of people call Obamacare. So for us, um, uh, we welcome all comers. We have families in our clubs. We have young 18 to 34-year-olds that are very fit. But uh, we do an awful lot with the medical community in terms of getting referrals from physicians. And the average age of our, I think we have probably 50,000 members in our five large flagships. Our average member age is in the high 50s, pushing 60. So That's great. That's amazing. And it, uh, if you go back into, go ahead. It's not a young man's game at, at the ACAC. Not really, but they're more than welcome. <laughs> the baby boomers. So let me let me ask you a question about sort sure. of healthcare. Um, a few months ago, there was a study that was put out, not a study, a, 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 a document that was put out by the American Medical Association that suggested that obesity is, uh, it's actually a disease. Mm-hmm. Without giving you my position or anybody else we've asked this question, what, what do you think about that? Is it a disease? Is it not a disease? Is it in the head? Is it a chemical thing or is it something else? And maybe it's something as simple as people eating too much. But I think the, I think the fact that um, AMA has come out and said that it is a disease will allow those of us who are club operators to maybe someday benefit from subsidies from insurance companies too soon to say. But uh, we do know that what 65% of Americans are overweight and half of those or half of that 65%, 32 or three, are considered obese. So uh, the number one, irrespective of whether you're talking to somebody who owns a lifetime fitness or an anytime fitness, all of you, all of us will tell you the same thing. The number one reason people join is to lose weight. I love to tell this story in talks I give. When we inducted, we being the United States, inducted 16 million men 
between 1940 and 1945 into the armed forces. That is a huge database. At that time, we had about 150 million Americans. So we we weighed 16 million men between 1940 and 1945. The average weight of those 16 million was 140 pounds. So, and the average height was about five, eight and a half inches. So you can see between then and 73 years later, I think the average male in America today weighs 200. So there's certainly a major sea change, which affords a lot of opportunities for those of us in this business, especially if people are looking to lose some weight. Yeah, and, and so now I'll give you the background on that question. Uh, a lot of the folks we've already talked to for Gym Class Heroes uh, said, sort of said the same thing. It's, it's, they don't necessarily agree it's a disease per se, but they all see the opportunity and the upside for Sure. Uh, operators of gyms and wellness centers. And, and sure. uh, to that same point, a lot of the same people, uh, folks we've been talking to, also see it as an opportunity, see the medical fitness as sort of a fast growth area within the health and fitness sector. So it, it seems like that's something we should be, we should be focusing in on. But so let's, let's look at it the other way. What's a trend in fitness that happened that you didn't see happen, didn't, didn't see coming? Wow, a trend we didn't see coming. Yeah. I guess functional training um, would be one, BOSU balls, um, medicine balls, kettlebells. Uh, in Virginia, uh, our clubs are not quote-unquote early adapters, um, meaning a lot of the stuff that you see that's new to the industry starts on the West Coast and migrates across the country towards us. I think for those of us at ACAC, um, it's just been in the last year to two years that we've tried to open up our clubs more. And when I say open up our clubs more, I'm talking about in terms of outfitting for uh, space for people to be working out, balancing those types of activities that that center around functional fitness. So uh, I wouldn't say we completely missed it, but in the last two years, we've tried to create two to 3,000 square feet of relatively open space for individuals and our, and our clients with personal trainers to work out in what I would call non-traditional ways. They're not using free weights to a large degree or the selectorized equipment, but rather working out individually with, with kettlebells or heavy ropes or things of that nature. We might have missed that one. All right. So talking about working out a little bit, uh, if you could only do one workout for the rest of your life, I mean, you, could, you had to do this workout every single day, what would it uh, be? How, what, how specific do you want me to be? I'd lose weight. As specific as you want, Phil. As yeah, I'd... I always thought if I if I was ever stranded on a desert island, if there were one piece of equipment, you would probably want to have a Smith machine. But I I prefer weight training over cardiovascular training. Although I do 30 to 40 minutes a day of cardio, the weight part I enjoy a little bit more. Maybe that's because you're a male or I'm a male. Maybe because of vanity or, but uh, that I would pick strength training. I, I'm, I also, go ahead. I'm extremely vain, which is why I do not pick up a lot of weight. <laughs> I don't want everybody to laugh at me while I'm doing the five-pound weight. 
Oh, you've got to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. <laughs> there was a great article in it, and uh, I'll give talks periodically, regionally, about aging more successfully. And there was a report in Consumer Reports and Health, I want to say 15 to 20 years ago, that said, and this is a little complex to work through, but I think you'll like the story. If you were a, let's say you're a 20-year-old guy and you do absolutely nothing for the next 30 years, so now you're age 50. And then at age 50, you begin a balanced exercise program. You're doing some stretching, you're doing some cardio, you're doing some strength. At age 70, according to Consumer Reports, unbiased, you're going to have 98% of your 20-year-old strength you're going to have 100% of your 20-year-old flexibility and almost 70% of your 20-year-old cardiovascular capacity. So we use that as a message that it's never too late to start. Wow. And for those of us, I'm quoting Consumer Reports and Health. And uh, if you want to send me an email, I'll give you that reference. But That's the thing that when I'm speaking in front of groups, because so often you'll be in front of a group of Rotarians or Lions Club members, and you're looking out at a group of uh, primarily businessmen who are in that category. They're, They're 50. They haven't really done much for 30 years, and they're thinking, well, it's too late. Well, the answer is it isn't. So. That's what we sell to the older demographics, that it's never too late to start. Bill, you have convinced me to give up working out. I, uh, I, you, no, wait a minute. No, wait until you're 50. You're, I'll start when I'm 50. Uh, yeah, I'll start when I'm I'm going to take the next decade off, uh, and whenever okay. anybody asks, I'm going to say, Phil told me it was okay. Phil told me I could get 70, 98% of my 20-year-old strength. That would be you one way to You just an hour of my time every day. Yeah. So what do you what – do you, um, what is your message? So you, you're, you've obviously got a strong, well-thought-out message to that, that demographic of, you know, that connects to the medical fitness world, that's that older demographic. What are you doing to bring in younger people, whether it's, you know, young families or, or even, you know, the millennials? Right. A, a couple of things. On the facility side, when we first opened our business in 1984, it was merely having a place for moms or dads to drop their kids and watch them while they're taking a group exercise class. Now we allocate two or 3,000 or 4,000 square feet in all of our clubs where kids will want to be in, in the kids zone instead of, oh my God, please don't drop me here, mom or dad. So we try to create space for our kids all the way up that, that they'll remain happy up through age 10 or 11. And we, we do that with design and we do that by having a, an infant section, a toddler section, and then more active space for kids really between six and 10. So that's one thing. As it relates to younger members, I suppose our price point is gonna be significantly above, let's say some of your uh, 24 hour clubs or your planet fitnesses. And in those particular categories, we hope they will focus on, we have a lot of staff. We have a lot of staff that's knowledgeable and we have clean clubs and we have all the amenities. So to appeal to the younger demographic, we do it with cleanliness and friendliness and amenities. Interesting. So when you, when you decided to 
change gears a little bit here. Um, sure. We had, uh, and I'm going to let Lee tell you exactly what was said, but Tim Rohde uh, yeah. spoke incredibly highly of you. Yeah, we mm-hmm. um, just to give you a couple. Of, so we interviewed Tim from the Maryland Athletic Club. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And, and a sister, one of your sister clubs, I know that. And we said to him, uh, "What?" We always ask this, and we're going to ask you, and that'll come next. But we always say, "What's the luckiest thing that happened to you in your business?" Mm-hmm. Um, and his, he said there were two lucky things that happened. He said the first was uh, finding his first location. He said, mm-hmm. it, "You know, it, it was such a perfect location." He it gave a number of attributes of what makes a perfect location. He said it fit all three attributes, um, and that was the first lucky thing that happened to him. And uh, and he said the second luckiest, luckiest thing was when you became his partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so he actually also you were actually the answer to two of the questions we asked. Me, we also asked him who one of his mentors were, and you came up in that as well. Absolutely. Okay. And so that leads which, us, which yeah, leads to our next question, next question. which is uh, who was your mentor, and what are the luckiest things? What was the luckiest thing that happened to you? Wow, uh, the luckiest thing that happened to me was, I guess, selling my travel company, <laughs> Lakeland Tours, in 1998 to an investment banking group. Um, you know, it was a good time. It was a good time to do deals. So the proceeds from the sale of Lakeland really was the, you know, gave up, gave us or me the capital to get invested in this business in the right way. And I would also have to put meeting Tim slightly in front of the sale of Lakeland as, as saying, wow, there's a whole nother way to look at this. And that whole other way to look at fitness is through the wellness continuum. Because between 1984 and 1995, that first 11 years, all I did was bleed cash. It was the success of my travel company that kept the fitness center open. And then in 95 or 96, when I first met Tim, his approach, wellness related, keeping people healthy, flipping the model of healthcare, which is nothing more than a sick care model. I was intrigued by that. I think it made a lot of philosophical sense with me. So A, having the capital from selling my first business and B, getting a new paradigm to look at fitness as opposed to something just for 18 to 30 year old or to 34 year olds to, wow, here's a whole new approach. The aging boomer, the age wave that Ken Dykewald writes about and speaks about so eloquently. So building fitness clubs and having models within those clubs that would suit a population all the way from three months old all the way up to 103. Yeah. And by the way, a little pro- promo for our, uh, the sponsor behind this presenter, Athletic Business. Ken Dyke will, will be speaking at the iClubs conference uh, in addition to Irvin Magic Johnson. So I'm uh, reading his book right now, his latest book right now. Yeah. So you, you said something interesting. So, so I want people to come and they can hear Ken themselves. Um, you said something interesting about bleeding cash. So my questions are, why were you bleeding cash and what – could you have done to fix that? Because I think, um, you know, independents might be interested who are bleeding cash sure. themselves to know where it's going. Well, I got into the, yeah, that's a fair question. I got into the business for the wrong reasons, more as a hobby and more to say that, hey, I wanted a nice place to work out and and lifetime fitness has been good for me. So therefore, uh, I'll just have a nice gym and I, I wasn't paying attention. 
Uh, I was focused too much on the travel company. It was more like a stepchild. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until the early 90s that I really said to myself the same thing the President Clinton said in 92 or 3, whenever he ran the first time, it's the economy, stupid. And I put a sign in my office and I said, it's the club, stupid. So I'm either going to get in this business and do it right or I'm going to get out of this business and stop bleeding. So um, what did you do? But, I was going to say, what did you ahead. do to do it right? What did you do to do it right? What did you fix? Well, I joined, I joined URSA. Um, I began to use some consultants. I met Tim Rohde. Uh, I met John McCarthy. Uh, I met Rick Caro. Uh, so I was blessed and fortunate enough at the time to, to have a, one very successful business that was carrying the other. And it was really all of those things together, meaning – let me talk to people who are doing it right. Let me let me join the trade association. Let me meet some of the key people in the industry. Um, those things, I think, changed everything. When I saw the wellness model, it was like, okay, I get it. I can get excited about that. It's It's an entrepreneurial opportunity. So I think Tim and I were probably about 20 years ahead of the industry on that. As a matter of fact, the industry still doesn't get that, in my humble opinion. Some people do. Uh, Some of the hospital-owned fitness clubs are doing okay. Uh, But at the same time, I think the broader industry, those of us, the 30,000 club owners, are all competing for the same 50 million people and and not enough of us are saying, wow, there's there's a green field or a blue ocean strategy out here if you look at fitness in a totally different way. Sure. How do you think you would have described your club prior to that revelation? I mean, what was it, just a fine place at, to be? Average. Um, at best, average, you know, on, on a 10 scale, on a 10 scale with 10 being superb, I'd say we were a five or a six. We treated our people well. Uh, our members well, we were adequately equipped. We weren't doing anything special. You know, we were average. Mm-hmm. So if someone were to start a club today and you could only give them two pieces of very specific advice, what would those two pieces be? Uh, do you want to give me more conditions? Do they have money or not? <laughs> How about both? How about both? Let's assume they don't at first and then somebody who, who does come in with a little bit of cash. Well, if somebody let's start with the easier of the two. If you come into the business for the first time and you you do have access to capital, either some of your own, um, I I would say don't compete for the same 50 million Americans that everyone else is competing for. Find yourself a blue ocean strategy. And that doesn't mean you can't build a club company that's going to get some of those who are already active. So I would look for a different way to, there's a, we've got 140 to 150 million adult Americans who go to bed every night and say, I wish I did more. I'd try to come up with ways to attract that, that demographic that no one else is getting to. That's the large number of people that are staying away from our clubs and droves. And I think if I were starting fitness and didn't have any access to capital, I'd probably do some type of personal training studio for your capital needs are limited. 
uh, where you're paying rent uh, and where what you're going to use to attract them is not a limited amount of equipment, but rather uh, a high degree of knowledge and the ability to work one-on-one -on -one with people, one individual at a time or in small groups. That would be the, probably the best way to access our industry uh, would be a studio. So with that said, uh, and the recent proliferation of the, the you know, how, whatever word, everybody has a different, slightly different word for it, but let's just call it the low-cost clubs. Sure. Um, a, what are your thoughts generally about low-cost clubs? Uh, B, do you think they're helping or hurting the, your business? And C, are they helping or hurting the industry in general? Wow. You could argue both sides of that question pretty intelligently. Agreed. Um, go ahead. What was your no, question? I, I'm, I'm, no, no, yeah. that's the question. Is, is, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's right on. I think uh, our price points, obviously, most of our facilities are 60,000 square feet and larger, and so our basis, our bases are more, far more expensive than somebody who's renting space in a strip mall. Um, I think they, they help clearly in a way that it, at a very low entry price point, the consumers aren't as worried about if I'm only going to pay $10 a month or $19 a month if I stop going then I'm not, not out too much money. So I think from that sense, they bring a lot of first-time people into, into our industry. That's a positive. Uh, the negative is somebody who might have a price point in the mid-70s and the consumer's out there and saying, wow, I could join this club for a 79 bucks and this club for 10 bucks. They don't know necessarily the distinction between what we would offer or someone with a higher price point would offer as opposed to someone with a lower. That's, that's maybe the principal advantage and disadvantage of, but in a general sort of way, um, there's 30,000 clubs now and sure. we're all competing for uh, sadly the, the same 50 million people. Um, we, uh, one of the things I know that you, you preach is, is first-class service, and mm -hmm. just so, um, I, I happened to go on, on, on your website today um, and uh, check out the website in time for, uh, just going, sure. going in, and I went to your Charlottesville location, and when I got there, there was a, uh, there was a message that greeted me, which said, and, and I, I'm hoping this was, a, it was a singular time, and that um, it gets fixed, but it said, the um, ACAC Downtown Aquatics, please note that the warm water pool is cooler than usual, we're working to fix the problem, and thank you for your patience. And I wanted to say that here you have an, an issue where something's not working up to par, and it's absolute first-class service to mm -hmm. use the website to communicate like, things like that. Let people know you're involved. Let them in, be engaged. I mean, you've got recipes on your website. You, you, you do so mm -hmm. much to engage people and let them know you are thinking about their experience. What, do you, what are other things you do that you think that really contribute to first-class service. And I'm not just saying things that cost a lot, but how do you really provide first-class service? Oh, boy. Well, we have one person that does nothing but teach. Um, so we invest a lot of money in employee growth, and um, we teach customer service. Our orientation of all new employees is rather strict. Uh, we adhere to our core principles. Um, I felt that way 
before I had a little bit of money, uh, even back into my 20s when I was, I always thought that every time I went into a business where I was treated with respect was the kind of business that I wanted to frequent, or if I ever started one, it would be the kind of business who, the, the service model that I would want to offer. So that, I had that epiphany when I was 22 or 23, treat, treat people with respect. That was the core of Lakeland, or the core of which is now called World Strides, the travel company. Um, we think we, we can outserve all of our competitors. So for me, it's been a lifelong non-negotiable, treat people well. So um, we'll weed out people that don't agree with that. Um, we we pay better, I think, than probably 99% of the people in the industry. So consequently, we have very little turnover. So uh, we've got, I don't know, maybe half the people that work for us have 10 or more years experience with us. So we don't have turnover or we, we all have turnover in our industry. We probably have less than normal. It's just one of our core values. Um, yeah. You, um, you told us your. We, we went over your luckiest moment before. What was your worst decision that you ever made running the company? Worst decision. Wow. The man is perfectly. There's a long <laughs> pause. <laughs> yeah, no. I, you know, I would have. I would have said, uh, if you would ask me this question 15 years ago, I would have said to get into the business in the first place <laughs> and, and not bleed all that cash or not pay attention. That's got to be it. But then if you, you know, I'm 29 years into it now and I'd say, I'm so glad I did <laughs> A, get into the business and B, I'm so glad I had the epiphany in the mid 90s to a, stay with the business and B, look at it from a different lens. But, you know, those first 10 or 11 years, the lesson learned there was it, it, it's, it's not good to be an absentee parent. So maybe starting, the, I, here's how we can frame it. The worst decision was starting that business and not focusing on it to the degree that I should have. I got into it for all the wrong reasons. A, I wanted, it's like a guy opening a restaurant because he likes to eat out. Or thinks yeah. he's a good cook. Yeah. Well, that's so a which fair leads, answer. Yeah, no, that's an excellent answer, which kind of leads to the next, the, another question, which would be, you know, you talked about you can't be an absentee parent. What is, What are the challenges in opening up multiples? Once you feel you've gotten it right one place, you know, how do you maintain that across multiples? Well, we have a management company. It's called Legacy, and you're talking to me from this location. And here we have a guy who does nothing but real estate and financing. We have our CEO. We have an architect. We have a, um, a construction manager. We have our IT in, inside of these walls. So, so much of opening up, we're not cookie cutter like Lifetime Fitness, but we're cookie cutter with a lot of our basic principles meaning customer service, meaning cleanliness, meaning friendliness, meaning medical orientation. So um, a lot of times when you open up, you, whether you're doing an acquisition, whether you're buying a club or whether you're starting a greenfield operation, 
the way your physical plant shapes itself is a byproduct of, you know, how much rent you have to pay or how much it costs to buy the land or build the building. Does that help? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great so answer. Ca- and you, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to, you know, the concept of having a management company with the right people in the management company allows us to, you know, we teach from here. We have one person who does nothing more than teach customer service or teach sales. I think that helps an awful lot to get a, get an element of consistency yet at the same time, give each of our GMs some degree of autonomy. Sure. So you, you said something that's really interesting, which is you talked about the physical plant. Um, and I think to a certain extent that uh, particularly with millennials and, and really getting to millennials and, and, and getting them two things, two things you said that really struck a chord. One is sort of the physical plant. The other is sort of the education. Um, 40 pounds, whether you go to a low cost gym or high value gym, whatever you call it, or you go into ACAC, 40 pounds weighs 40 pounds. So part of it is educating the consumer as to what our value is uh, or what your value is. Um, and to the same extent, going after the millennials requires you to, to touch them where they are, which is on the Internet, on social media. Where do you think this uh, sort of convergence of healthcare, education on, on value, and the Internet, where is that going to all lead us? Wow, wow, wow. You're talking to somebody who isn't one. Uh, and I find that to be a challenge. Um, all four of my daughters are millennials and my son-in-laws. And so here I am, somebody who's the boomer, who's learning to work with a whole new generation of Americans. So for me, it's been a learning experience. I'm not nearly as IT savvy as I'd like to be. Um, but I know we're now just doing social media. I know now somebody would have told me two, three years ago, your web page is not nearly as good as it should be. And so we've invested a lot in that over the last two to three years so that we can begin to appeal to that market because that's exactly how that market does shopping. So we are acutely aware of that and we have dollars invested in it. To me, I'm not knowledgeable, but I am knowledgeable enough to know that if you want to reach that demographic, here's how to do it, and here's how to do it effectively. So a lot of our managers come from that age demographic. I don't know if that's a good answer, but it's probably the best one I could. I think it's smart that you know what you don't know and you know what you do know. And uh, when you don't know something, you bring in the best people to do it. That's a good observation. Yeah, I mean, I I think every business – uh, if they just follow that simple philosophy, you get a lot, lot further along. Uh, you so. and I could agree. We could, we could both get drunk over agreeing on that. <laughs> hey, I've got a free hour every single day for the next ten years of my life, so thank you. So, uh, if you want to get drunk during that happy hour, I'm happy to do it. Oh. Gotcha. So we're going to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, you talked about something earlier that I want to kind of go back to very quickly. You said uh, you've been, you were really heavily, uh, you played pretty, pretty good baseball when you were a kid and uh, played pretty competitively. First of all, what position did you play? Well, for most, most of those years, I was a center fielder. My last year in college, because we didn't have one, I played shortstop. Very nice. All right. So 
one of the things uh, we always ask people, and uh, we're going to ask you as well, when you were in elementary school, let's say you were in third grade, fourth grade, whatever the grade was, and they were picking teams, you know, to play dodgeball, sure. for example. Yeah, yeah. Were you one of the first kids to get picked, or were you like Lee and I, where we were the last kids to get picked? Uh, I was uh, I was probably not the first, but one of the first. You know what? I don't even have a chance in this world. I I, I, I came out I came out without a chance. That's my problem. All right. I've got a health club you could join. <laughs> well, I don't. I've got ten, 10 years. years. Yeah, I'm not joining for another ten years. I'm saving my money. Is that L E I G H or? You're always closing. You, 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 you gym owners are always selling. Um, uh, we have to. Okay. So, Phil, we've got a we've got a little game we play with everybody. Go ahead. It's a word association game. Mm-hmm. For all your successes and all the successes of all the people we've interviewed for this word association game, all but one of them have had troubles. They just they get caught up and they get they get uh, they get uh, a little bit nervous. So I'm setting you up here, but I want you to we're going to give you a word and you tell us the first word that comes to mind. Um, and like I said, uh, your fellow gym class heroes have had uh, have gotten caught up in this uh, a few of them. So hopefully we have a lot of faith that you will be the the uh, be able to come through this with flying colors. So I don't know if you need to stretch or. Well, you didn't set the bar too. You didn't set the bar too high. <laughs> oh, you know, we're you know, I, I've got uh, I've got I've got to do what I got to do here, Phil. It's, it's sure. you know, you've already made me feel bad because I was always the last kid picked. So I figure I'd, I'd put you on the spot a little here. So we're going to yeah. go through a little word association game. I'm going to give you a word. You simply say the first word that pops into your mind. And, now you uh, don't, do you know the difference between an introvert and an extrovert? I, What's that? Uh, sure, absolutely. Sure. I mean, yeah, go ahead. Extre- we are extremely reflective. And uh, we're the last kid that's going to speak out in class. You're talking to somebody who is about as introverted as a person can be. So word association games, I'm setting the table up front. You know, I'm going to want to, I'm going to have the best answer for you at three in the morning when I wake up to pee (laughs) (laughs) to some of these word games. So, but you're, you're putting me on the spot. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you like a, uh, this is my dodgeball thing. I'm not even the second. I'm, I, if I was the second guy picked and you were the last guy picked, I'm copping a plea on this thing. I'll, if you want to give me those words and call me back in 36 hours, I'll be crazy. <laughs> Shoot. In the middle of the I've night, covered, you jump up. I've covered my butt. Go ahead. You've right. covered your up. Here, right. Here we go. There's only about uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 of them. We'll try right. to go through them quickly. And sure. uh, here we go. First word is treadmill. Treadmill, incline, member, guest, employee, absolutely key. You want one word, right? That's okay. We'll take two. Retention, significant, diet, everybody is dieting, exercise, Wonderful. 
the biggest loser. Trash TV. <laughs> Spotting. Men hate it. Healthcare. A friggin' mess. Technology. Two sided. The Nintendo Wii Fit. Never heard of them. Locker room. Clean. Gym class. Loved them. You, sir, are a gym class heroes. And let me just say one thing. One of, this was absolutely one of my favorite word associations because you were thoughtful in your responses and you didn't say um between every word. Hmm. So you, are, you have mastered word association like very few have. <laughs> you know, I grew up in Illinois, and I'll tell you something. I don't know. You guys are young. It sounds like 40-ish. But Illinois was the last state in the country that had mandatory physical education. And I remember back to my four years of high school in Illinois, and we had gym every single day. And every three weeks, you'd have a new unit. I thought it was one of the neatest things in the world. And apps, when I went off to college, this is in the mid-60s, same thing. We actually had gym in college. Wow. I, you know what? Well, I think we had... I think we had a when I went to school college we had to take a uh, a fitness assessment of some sort. Yeah, but you took it first day freshman year and never yeah, had to take it again. You never take it again. All right. Now where are you guys from? We're we're actually not too far from you. Uh we're uh here in uh just outside of Washington DC and in almost used to be kind of lovely Rockville, Maryland. Okay, I know exactly where that is. We're yeah, looking you're out right. on Yeah. It used to be yeah. beautiful. It really did. And then, then the Civil War happened. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get out of, uh, out of here. All right. Well, Phil, uh, we cannot thank you enough for spending time with us here today on the podcast. Uh, incredibly enlightening. And I think most important, America was given the option to wait till they're 50 to work out. So that, yeah. <laughs> that is if you guys want to send me a follow-up email, I will send you in all seriousness that Consumer Reports on Health. It's a great there are truthfully so many people that when they hear that, it is truly an epiphany. Oh, my God, you mean I'm okay at 50, not having moved a muscle for 30 years? It's uh, You look for in modern America the elevator pitch because you don't get much of people's attention. And yeah. I'm always looking for, gee, give me something that, that these people are going to remember at the end of my 40-minute talk. And lo and behold, that's one of the best. All right, my friends, you're both good Thank people. You. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. This has been Gym Class Heroes of Fitness. Thank you to Phil Wendell and Jose Nershirvani. Don't forget to join us at the Athletic Business Conference, November 20th through 22nd in San Diego, California. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more coming up soon. Ken Dykewald will be there if you want to listen to him talk as well. Thank you. This has been Gym Class Heroes of Fitness.